You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. This morning, we have the, the privilege um, and honor before the Lord to ordain and install um, five congregational elders as we uh, complete what has been a multi-year process now of transitioning uh, to a form of biblical governance and organization uh, that we believe uh, far more faithfully reflects what we see in the New Testament. And it is an exciting time in the life of a church anytime a church makes such a decision knowing uh, that God blesses and honors uh, his churches as we do. Uh, Not only that, but churches are empowered to function more effectively, more efficiently, and with more um, spiritual power uh, when we do that. Now, we're going to start out in Acts chapter 20 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, uh, especially if you're a regular attender or member here, um, go ahead and pull it out. Be finding Acts chapter 20. Um, you can open your device. You can open uh, the sermon notes section on our church app. You can follow along on the screens this morning. Now, I know uh, I have been at this long, uh, long enough as a pastor and have lived long enough as a human being to know that when you begin to discuss a topic, even straight out of Scripture, around the idea of authority and submission and leadership in the church that it evokes in many of us deep emotions um, and often in many of us apprehension. Uh, I, I hate that, and I think uh, that's largely due to a lack of understanding about what Scripture teaches and why God teaches us what He does. Uh, it's also due often to baggage that we have and other things, but uh, I just want to say this, that I'm well aware that for some, words like authority and submission immediately create resistance in your spirit, immediately, even if you don't want it to. Resistance is there. There's a kind of inner conflict that uh, begins in you. And maybe that's you this morning. And you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you set aside preconceived ideas, baggage, assumptions, wounds uh, that, that you may carry into this topic and ask the Holy Spirit to help you Submit yourself with new eyes and a new heart and a fresh understanding to the good and pure teaching of God in Scripture. Others uh, of us, and this is often um, the case with the majority, have simply spent much of our life confused about this subject. We react to things that we don't actually uh, really even understand or even understand sometimes why we're reacting with regard to this topic. Um, in this case, we need to dig around in the Scriptures under the Lordship of Christ and empowerment of the Holy Spirit and submit ourselves to what God teaches and let Him chip away uh, at misunderstanding in our lives and bring to light the fruitful and beautiful and joyful teaching of God Himself. Uh, yet some, by God's grace, uh, have found sincere contentment around this issue of authority and submission, leadership, in the church, how churches are organized and function. Uh, and you share a deep conviction about the authority of God's Word, whether or not you always understand it, whether or not it always feels good to you. 
Um, you share a very high respect for the authority of Scripture. And you're happy to bow down to the teaching of God through the Word of God and to live within the parameters that God has established. That's not always the case, though. Um, sometime back, I was listening to a, a Q&A from the Basics Conference that Parkside Church uh, in Cleveland hosts, where Alistair Begg is the senior pastor there. Um, during a, that question and ex, uh, answer section, uh, someone asked about elders, about how they go about, how they think about elders, how elders are appointed in their churches. Um, there was a panel up there that uh, included a number of people, um, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, others. But it, what was most interesting to me was Begg's story because it sort of speaks to the background that I grew up in growing up uh, as a Southern Baptist kid and spending most of my life in Baptist churches. Begg said as a young minister, uh, he was called to the pastorate of a Baptist church in Scotland where he's from. And he said he, he had a growing conviction as he looked at the organization of the church that it didn't, it didn't resemble what we see in the New Testament. And that's a problem. It's a problem if a church is organized in a way that uh, you can't get hints from uh, in Scripture, much less direct teaching around. And he was thinking about how to go about uh, introducing this with the deacons that he had and the church as a whole in a, a way that might be acceptable. So he reached out to Derek Prime, not Derek Prince, but Derek Prime, who uh, was a uh, Scottish Baptist minister, older, well-respected, uh, phenomenal preacher, and was the pastor of a uh, independent evangelical Baptist church in Scotland. And actually, he would come in and do a weekend for them uh, through the pastoral epistles of the wider New Testament, dealing with uh, the topic of church leadership and the organization of the church. Uh, Prime agreed. He came in and did that and uh, did it with the uh, concision and faithfulness and simplicity uh, and gentleness of spirit that defined uh, the late Derek Prime, who passed away just a few years ago. It was a great weekend. And, and um, Alistair said he was thrilled. I couldn't wait for the first deacon meeting after that. And so he met with the deacons and he said, well, what did you guys think just overall about our weekend uh, with Prime? And they said, oh man, we loved it. It was so great. It was uh, so energizing for our church. We loved what he had to say, he just handled the scriptures and opened them up to us so well. And, uh, and Meg said, well, what did you think of the content? And they said, oh, we loved it. We uh, agreed with it fully. It was just, it really was just fantastic. And Alistair said, uh, as a 20-something young pastor, so uh, when do you think we can begin to move to an elder-led model um, in our church? And immediately one of the guys said, oh, we're not, we're not going to implement eldership here. And uh, Beg sat back. He said, I was, I was a bit taken aback. And another guy said, listen, son, we're Baptists. We don't do that. And that was it. And, and Beg said, I was, I was stunned. Uh, I was stunned. He said, I, I knew then in my heart that that was the beginning of the end uh, of my time at this church. He said, not because I had my feathers ruffled, but because the, the only thing that, that a minister, that a pastor, that elders have uh, to govern and guide and care for and direct and oversee doctrine and discipline of the church is the Word of God. And when you will have a body sit before you and say the teaching is plain and clear, but we don't do that because of our tradition, you can't do a lot with that. Um, in due time, he was called by uh, Parkside Church in Cleveland 
moved across the Atlantic, he and his wife, he said they had a, a phenomenally uh, faithful biblical structure, at least on paper. He said, I thought this is good. The church has this down. They've got elders. They've got deacons. They've got other things that work in the life of the church. He said, I quickly found out that was not actually true. That was on paper. Uh, but there still was a great lack of understanding around this topic, why God has given it to be as he has, and how it functions in the church. Um, he said there at their first combined elder deacon meeting, uh, the chairman of the, of the elder board asked uh, the deacons, just wanted to make sure, hey, uh, last month we, we got that check in this amount to be deposited in this account, wanted to make sure that uh, that got there safely, is that good? And uh, the chairman of the deacon spoke up and said, no. He said, after we looked at it, we decided not to put it there, but we're going to put it somewhere else. And he said, uh, okay, let's let's move on to item seven. And Meg said, I said, hold on just uh, one tiny little minute here. Um, he said, we, we haven't actually concluded item six, so we don't need to move on to item seven. Well, what do you mean? And he said, uh, it's my understanding, it seems to be quite clear in Scripture that the deacons are a servant arm of the elders, but you don't have two competing bodies of authority and direction in the church. And so if the elders determine that a certain check is to be deposited in a certain fund, that's where that check is deposited, and they're going to give an account to the Lord when they stand before him for their decisions and their um, leadership in the church. And Beg said they just looked at him like, where did this snotty little guy come from? Um, he can't even talk American. And so he said the, the next elder meeting, they started off with a letter they'd received from the chairman of the deacons saying that the entire deacon body as a whole resigns effective immediately. Said so the, uh, the chairman of the elder board said, what do we do? And Beg said, accept it immediately without reservation and thank God for it. And he said, so that's what we did. He said, they made their own way to other places. I say this all to say this. I commend you as a church, our covenant members, our deacons, our leadership board who work through this with thoroughness. I commend you for following the teaching of scripture rather than traditional uh, tradition or your personal previous experience with church governance. I know I've said this before, but Tony Johnson at least voiced what I'm sure others were thinking on the leadership board when we first began to approach this. And he said, uh, I was against this from the beginning. I was not really for the elder model. But as we looked through the New Testament, as we read and studied together, it was overwhelmingly clear that this is there. And we had no other right than to get on board. And so I commend Tony for that and for others, um, because I think that uh, speaks well of the church. So I thank God for you guys for uh, our leadership board that was functioning at that time for our deacons and for you as covenant members of the church. Now, let's move on. And I just want to remind you briefly that the New Testament uses three terms that arguably uh, all point to the same office and role of the elder, presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. And although some groups and denominations will see more than one office represented here, um, it seems quite clear to most, that one is spoken of. Elders have a duty to care for the church as shepherds to edify the body of Christ through faithful teaching and to direct it from error. In a sense, to be clear, elders before God are responsible for the doctrine, uh, the direction, and the discipline of the local church and will give an account to God for such. Episcopos and presbyteros are regularly translated elder or overseer in English. Episcopos 
sometimes will be translated overseer. Uh, and where episkopos and presbyteros are used, where we get our words episcopal and pres, uh, presbyter or presbyterian, uh, they always refer to leadership within the church and to groups of leaders within the church. And it's very difficult to discern any marked difference between this group. Now, let me say this, and then we're going to do a, a, a brief, quick tour de force of this in Acts, at least. In the New Testament, biblical eldership in local churches is seen as the apostolic pattern and a functional necessity. Biblical eldership established in local churches is seen throughout the New Testament as the apostolic pattern and a functional necessity for churches to be what God is calling them to be. Let me just start out with you, and most of these will be on the screen. You can follow along if your Bible, if you want, uh, or in the notes section of the app. Acts chapter 11, let's start with Acts chapter 11. And here, we are just a few short years after the ministry, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, the indwelling and empowering Holy Spirit given to the church in its birth early, recorded early in Acts. Uh, verse 27, which may or may not be on the screen. During this time, so we're in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. You guys know that Luke, the physician and historian who wrote Acts, is always careful to, to date things historically. The disciples, as each was able, decided, now these, these are the disciples, the members of the church in Antioch, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This is a pattern of what we're doing right now, that you, brothers and sisters, are deciding as you're able and as you feel led by God to provide for brothers and sisters in South Africa through Orchard Africa for a specific task for them to complete and create the ministry budget for. Provide for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Verse 30. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Sending the gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. I was thinking about this and how funny it is. Uh, you see this often that money given to the church was laid at the feet of the elders or the apostles to be distributed as had need because they were the ones most aware and the ones responsible for uh, before God to make sure things were getting where they needed to be. And I thought how unbaptist of them that was. It has been my experience, at least, that in most Baptist churches, they would have sent a cohort of members here because they wouldn't have trusted the elders, the apostles, the pastors. They'd been like, you can't really trust those guys. You can't fully trust staff or anybody like that. you got to send some members. For some reason, we think members are less corruptible, um, less sinful uh, than pastors and elders. So I got a kick out of that, but they they send their gift to the elders in Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. Now, look over, if you will, at Acts 14. Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 21. And all of this is, is just getting us to eldership in the local church 
as being the apostolic pattern and necessary for the functioning of the local church as God has designed it. Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned, they returned to Lystra, Iconium. This is Paul and his cohort, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. Now, what's interesting here, if you look back in chapter 14 and maybe some in chapter 13, you find that that Paul and Barnabas and, and those with them had already been uh, run out of Iconium. They had fled Iconium under threat of physical violence. They'd been stoned outside of Lystra, run outside of town, stoned and left for dead. And Antioch was the church that actually ordained them to ministry. And they're going back, appointing elders in the church at Antioch, exercising divine authority and stewardship over that church. Clearly, clearly, Paul and Barnabas considered the appointing of elders in cities with very tiny churches that they had already been run out of, flogged and stoned, to be functionally necessary for those churches to remain and for those churches to become what God intended them to become. Now, look down at um, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 which was always taught to me growing up and as a young man as kind of the, the first business meeting, uh, the way that Baptists often did it in our history. It's not that at all when you read it carefully. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers that unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. You've got a doctrinal issue here, a theological issue. Now, these men that came down were very sincere. They believed in their understanding of God's word and God's heart and God's will, that what they were teaching was right, but it wasn't. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem in Judea to see the apostles and elders about this question to see the apostles and elders about this question. They don't take it to the whole church in Jerusalem. They take it to the apostles and elders. You often see those two apostles simply functioning as uh, the forerunners as, uh, of elders, not that modern-day elders, modern-day senior pastors functioning as congregational or as staff elders would hold the same uh, weight and significance and authority as the apostles. But the apostles as prototypes of faithful eldership in the church. So you have that in Acts 15. We see they're already well-established in Jerusalem, elders are. Now turn over to 16, the next chapter, chapter 16. Uh, we get Paul and Silas, Silas particularly, um, Timothy and Paul here, as Timothy joins Paul's uh, missionary endeavors. Acts chapter 16, verse 4, as they, uh, that is Paul and Timothy, traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, a congregational vote in Jerusalem. 
It was a decision made after hearing the parties, a doctrinal decision that was determined and decided by the apostles and elders in the church in Jerusalem. Now listen, because this is where it begins to grate on us. As Americans, as Southerners, as modern Westerners, as for those of you who have Baptist or congregational backgrounds, uh, for you the traditions you grew up, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, what we would have liked to have heard is for the people to debate and to decide if they too agree on that by vote of democratic process. But friends, I have to tell you, that is not how God has designed the church to work. And look what happens when it works like it should. So the churches, so he's saying he did, they delivered these decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people, for the churches in the areas that they were delivering them to obey for the sake of the churches. Look at the next verse. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Do you think it's just at least possible that these churches were being strengthened in their faith and growing in their numbers because they weren't spending their time arguing and bickering about who's in control and who has a say and who made a decision without whose consent. But they were rather able to focus on the mission and ministry that Christ had given to the church, knowing that Christ had ordained, called, and appointed some specific individuals to be dealing with those other issues so that the body as a whole is free to run the race God has marked out for you and to continue what God has called His church to do. Now, we could go on, but we'll pause there. You find as you look at the rest of the New Testament, elders uh, in the church in Ephesus, elders in the church of Philippi, elders in the churches on Crete, elders in Pontus, Bithynia, Rome, Thessalonica, Biblical eldership in the New Testament is the apostolic pattern and a functional necessity in the life of the church. God has chosen in his sovereign goodness to mediate his rule through under shepherds who are to rule with the same spirit, humility, gentleness, clarity, and right doctrine as Jesus Christ himself. Now, let me tell you just four realities uh, about elders and how they function in the life of a church. First is this, elders are appointed by God. Elders are appointed by God. That's why we were very careful in our language to you as covenant members, asking you to affirm, not necessarily to vote for, but to affirm what you did unanimously. I thought, man, the Lord chose well. Because Baptist churches can't be unanimous on anything. We could say, is it Sunday in here? And someone would say, no, it's not. It's the day after Saturday. Right? But unanimous affirmation of the men that sit before you this morning to serve in the capacity of congregational elders. Elders are appointed by God. Now, let's get to Acts 20. Let's get to Acts chapter 20. We won't read all of the verses, obviously. We won't even read all of them. 
uh, between verse 17 and 30, which we have um, as the main text. But let's look at verse 17, then we'll skip down to 25. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders, plural, of the church. For the elders, plural, of singular, the church in Ephesus. Now, look down. They get there. Paul reminds them some of his life and practice. Among them, his care and concern to represent the entirety of God's word to them, however discomfortable it may make people and to be faithful in his, in his calling. And verse 25. Now I know Paul's giving a charge here to the elders in the church in Ephesus because he's about to sail off and he knows that he's not going to see them again. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you, to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Keep, and that order is significant. Elders are called by God, directed by God to keep watch over ourselves first. Our lives, our beliefs, our behavior, our families, and secondly, over all the flock of which who has made you overseers? The Holy Spirit, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood speaking of the seriousness and weight of the calling to which elders live out in the life of the church. It's the Holy Spirit that is appointing elders. It's not us. It's the choosing and selection of the Holy Spirit laid on the hearts and minds of those involved in the appointing process. You see this again uh, with Paul and others, Timothy, Titus, who were called on to appoint elders in different churches. The idea is that under the lordship of Christ, as under shepherds at that time, guided by the Spirit of God, you are to appoint those that God sets before you to serve in those churches at that time, as elders. Now, to understand this, we have to confront, we have to confront one of, the, one of the, the most dangerous misconceptions that most of us have grown up with when it comes to the church. And it's simply this, that the church is a democracy. The church is, I've heard this, I've heard this taught. <laughs> as a younger man, I taught this at times. That the church is a democracy. This is a devastating misconception. And I challenge you to find that idea in the New Testament. Everything is decided by the vote of the people in these churches, often, often to the neglect of the teaching of Scripture on certain issues, or even the spiritual maturity of many who are voting, or sometimes the, uh, the entire congregation 
in some cases. There are entire congregations sometimes that are so immature and so dysfunctional, the, the, the church in a region would be healthier if they'd close their doors and let the members split up and join some healthy churches, uh, repent of sin, and begin to be formed. And here's the thing. In, in many, 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 many churches in our day, this democratic misconception is firmly rooted because we've not looked to Scripture for this. We've looked outside of Scripture for places to tell us how to organize the church. We've looked at the military. We've looked at the business world. We've looked at American government. But we've not looked deeply and seriously at the Bible. And so here's what happens. As long as leadership in those churches, these democratic form churches, as long as leadership there preserves the status quo, they remain as leaders. As long as the leaders in those churches fulfill the demands and wishes of the voters, their constituents, uh, they're maintained. But as soon as they don't, they're removed. It may take a year, it may take six months, but they're gone. And this is a totally biblical, uh, unbiblical view of God-ordained leadership. That even a cursory, a cursory reading of Genesis and Exodus should rid us of much less an honest reading of the New Testament. You'll notice I'm sticking a little closer to my notes this morning than often, and that has to do with the significance um, and importance of this topic. Now, some of this is rooted in, in an idea of priesthood of the believer taken from First Peter 2.5, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I will simply tell you this, that the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, that all of you and all of us, by nature of the lordship and the priesthood of Christ, have full access, unfettered access to God an ability to read and interpret the scriptures for ourselves and responsibility to do so. But that doctrine is about the responsibility of mem members, or ministry rather, not the rights of members. It's about the responsibility of ministry, not the rights of members. It, it is about all of us and encouraging all of us to use the spiritual gifts that we've been given in ministry and the exercise of our responsibilities to one another in the Lord. It's the fulfillment of the 40 plus one another phrases in the New Testament. The church is also not an autocracy, right? It's not an autocracy, which we'll deal with more fully in a few minutes. But here I'll just say there's no pastor, no bishop, no priest, no pope given authority on earth to lead the people of God in a way that actually establishes what is in effect an autocratic system. It's not how God has ordained it. It's not God's will that everyone should run everything, period. And it's not God's will that one should run everything. It's God's will, and I want you to listen here. It's God's will that certain people be entrusted with the awesome responsibility of giving leadership to those who are under their pastoral oversight and care. This is how God has established eldership. Now, second, Elders are accountable to God. Elders are accountable to God. If you just stay with Acts 28, we dealt with part of it. Um, keep watch, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. If he bought it with his own blood and he has commanded and instructed those in eldership in the church to shepherd that church and to be faithful in overseeing those the Holy Spirit has made them in the care of or oversight of, 
you can absolutely bet that their accountability for that function rests with God and God alone. Hebrews 13, 17 uh, gets to this a little bit more clearly. Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I'll say more about that in a minute. But that is give an account to God. Give an account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. You can just think, you can think of kids at home. Kids, do what your parents ask you so that their parenting might be a joy because not doing it is of no benefit to you. No benefit to you. That helps us kind of understand what's going on here. You see these qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'll just quickly read through these. And I wish I were just listening. It's far more comfortable to listen than it is to read these. Here's a trustworthy saying, Paul says to Timothy. As Timothy is given charge to establish eldership and elders in the church in Ephesus, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's noble work. Now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That doesn't necessarily mean able to do what I'm doing here this morning, the formal instruction of the church on a Sunday morning, preaching. But it does mean that the elders of the church should all be able to answer questions that you may bring them about the core doctrines of the Christian faith, about the nature of the gospel, about in a general sense fully what the scripture teaches on this or that. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. I struggled with this just this morning as we were doing the, the run-through and one of my twins had escaped from Ellen Kids and came running into here at 9.30 with Julie chasing him. Jake went down to help. Both of them couldn't catch him. And I said, well, there it is, right? So I went down, threatened him with physical discipline. And he left. He probably ran off somewhere else. Do this in a manner worthy of full respect. And then just as an aside, Paul's making a point here. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, he can't take care of God's church. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment. As the devil, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace. Now, if you go over to Titus, and it's important that you understand flexibility here. No one's perfect. So when Scripture says blameless, we've got to ask, through, uh, ask the question and work through what, what is Paul saying here with this blameless issue? Because if he, he, if he means a straight-out definition of blameless, then there's no one else will be elder in the church but Jesus. There was just one. So be careful about using a really wooden a wooden mechanical sense of understanding these. Titus 1, 5. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul writes to his uh, young pastoral protege in ministry, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town 
as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. This is not so much saying that uh, as kids grow up, there's, there's a point in which your kids reach an age where uh, no matter what you've done, their faith is their own and their lack of faith is their own. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying when your kids are young and under the management and care of you, you are to be instructing them in the way of the Lord. You're to be uh, bringing them into the body of Christ regularly. I lost my place. Yeah, seven. Uh, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. We'll pause there. These are areas to which elders are accountable to God, to the God who has appointed and called them to this work. And as I said, uh, there, there's obviously grace given because we know no one is always at their best. But it is about uh, the pattern of one's life and what generally characterizes one's life. It's not that uh, an elder may not lose their temper at time. It may not, uh, it, it's not that the elders under the, the, the weight of a leadership and ministry in the church may not get frustrated with individuals. It's about the overall tenor of their life. Alistair Begg tells a great story of the Earl of Rochester, who as he was maturing and growing, kind of understood parenting in a less wooden mechanical way. Uh, before he was married, he actually had the gall to write a book called Seven Definitive Rules for Child Rearing. Uh, once he was married and they had their first child, he had to change the title and had it edited to Seven Rules for Child Rearing, but not Definitive. After his wife had given birth to multiple children, it became seven suggestions for bringing up children. After they had six children, it became the problems of parenting. And finally, the title was just changed to Help Me, I'm Drowning. These must-nots, not be arrogant, not be quick-tempered, doesn't mean you never lose your temper, but it means you're not one characterized by rage. Drunkenness, it's about sobriety, stability, not so much abstinence. John Stott, in a way that is so um, common to him, is able to put this concise and says, not all are total abstainers, but all are called to moderation and temperance. A life lived under the control of the Spirit. Not violent, not a brawler, prone to physical confrontation not greedy, not in church leadership to increase their personal financial gain. Basically, Paul is saying, Titus, make sure as you appoint elders on the island of Crete that they're not a bunch of conceited, angry, drunken, brawling money grubbers. So it says something maybe about the material that Titus was working with on the island of Crete. It says you must be hospitable, showing hospitality to one another, a lover of good, asking the question, what must or what is good that I must love, self-controlled, sound judgment, able to, to think and discuss things and even disagree sensibly and with kindness and charity, upright, asking the question, what is right that I must do? A willingness to do the right thing over the easy thing or convenient thing. Uh, holy deals with one's posture toward God, just as uprightness deals with one's posture toward others. Discipline 
able to show up on time, do what's needed, do what's required over what's convenient. And this is both professionally and personally, right? There's a huge amount of accountability between those called by God to elder and, and God himself, as all of us are accountable to God as the one who created us and redeemed us. Third, elders are authoritative. Well, let me say, third, elders are affirmed by the church. You see this in Acts 13, 1 through 4. This won't be up on the screen. But Acts 13, 1 through 4, you see the church in Antioch at the initiation of the Holy Spirit set aside Barnabas. I'll just read it for you quickly. Um, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, again, it is God appointing. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Part of that work was to travel around appointing elders and churches where the gospel was bearing fruit. So that after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, the elders are also affirmed by the church in, in looking at their lives before you through those passages we just read and saying, we affirm these men generally to be of this kind of character before the Lord. Finally, this morning, elders are authoritative in the life of the church. Elders are authoritative in the life of the church. Now, this is a God-ordained authority and a God-exercised authority by and only by God's holy word. I go again briefly to Acts chapter 20. To Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, now this is not keep watch over them to pick at them, but it's keeping watch over them as a parent does over uh, a child learning to ride a bicycle. You're safe. I got you. I'm here, right? Over a child learning to do anything, to keep watch, to guard, protect, and preserve the church that they might flourish, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To provide oversight is an issue of leadership and authority. There's no way around this. No way around this. Hebrews 17, 30, which we all already looked at, um, but the writer of Hebrews tells the church to have confidence in their leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Submit to their authority. We see that uh, as we looked at Acts 16, where the churches uh, were called to obey the directives of the elders and apostles that sent down doctrinally. And when they did so, they flourished. When they did so, they flourished. Two words used interchangeably help us understand this just a little bit. Many of you will remember from the Christmas narratives, uh, which I don't think I've fully ruined for you here. Um, reaching back to Old Testament, to the Old Testament uh, prophecy, Matthew says, in chapter 2, I believe it's verse 6, yes. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by of no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, now listen to this, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Rulership is shepherding, and shepherding is ruling, and leading, and guiding, and caring, and nurturing, and correcting, and teaching. 
And this is important because firmness of character and spiritual constitution is required in elders. Otherwise, individuals entrusted by God with the responsibility of pastoral care will allow the sheep to dictate to the shepherds what is supposed to happen, which is, of course, ridiculous and wrong, which even a cursory reading of the New Testament will reveal. And, of course, elders, as we have seen, are called by God to see that the church and their care and the individuals within it are growing into the fullness of maturity in Christ. And in that sense, the work of eldership is never, it's never done. Elders are constantly moving among the congregation and the ministries of the church, ensuring that the climate, the diet, the discipline, the direction, the protection are right so that the people of God can grow can find rest and develop a way that is pleasing and profitable to the master. Now, I have to say this. The job of the shepherd or of shepherds is not to lead the sheep where a majority of the sheep want to go. Rather, the shepherd or shepherds are to lead the sheep where there is rich pasture, healthy and refreshing and comparatively secure. And the source, the source of authority for eldership in the life of the church is in God's word and God's word alone. This is why we find this, this great verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge, acknowledge or affirm or respect those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Now, why does Paul say this? Why does Paul have to say this? Like, none of this stuff is written in a vacuum. Paul has to say this because our tendency, the tendency of the human heart is to disrespect. The tendency is to, to criticism, to assume all kinds of things, many of them negative when it comes to those in positions of authority and leadership. So Paul has to say, brothers and sisters, I have something to ask of you. I ask you to respect those who work hard among you and are over you in the Lord. He doesn't say respect them because you know them. He doesn't say respect them uh, because they've been around a long time. He doesn't say respect them because they may be successful outside of the church. He doesn't even say respect them because you like them. He says respect them because of the work they do. Because of the work they do under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say what may be the most shocking statement, and I'll leave it with you. You people are sensible, intelligent, spirit-led uh, men and women of Christ. You can search this out yourself. But the, the New Testament teaches that the eldership is not responsible to the congregation. The eldership is not responsible to the congregation. The eldership is responsible for the congregation to God. And on this singular truth stands and turns most of the confusion in many of our churches today and many people's minds. They are to keep watch over us as men who will give an account to the congregation. No, to God himself who calls and appoints them. Does that mean elders aren't accountable to anyone? Not at all. The New Testament makes exceedingly clear that all of us, elder, not elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, regular church-going member, anybody, all of us in the body of Christ are accountable to one another and are to live with a submissive spirit 
to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But what it does mean is that in their exercise of biblical oversight for the church, the responsibility for leading is to God, not to the congregation. And it's the same exact standard that God establishes in the home, which is part of why you see this together in passages in the New Testament. Um, In the home, as a father, I am not responsible to my children. And I know this falls uh, hard on modern Western ears, especially younger generations, but I'm not responsible to my children. I'm responsible for my children to God. And I'll say, brothers, fellow elders, if we don't know this and accept this and can't be comfortable with this reality, we cannot care for and lead God's people in this great church anywhere. But how we submit to authority, or both, both. Now this is for all of us, listen up. Both how we submit to authority and how we handle authority speaks volumes about our maturity and character in Christ. You notice, and I've pointed out that the New Testament is very clear that there's a plurality of elders. God's design for plurality elders is clear. It's a clear guard against government governance by one in the church or governance by everyone in the church. You can have a top-down dictatorship in a church or a bottom-up dictatorship in the local church, neither of which God says is the way that he's ordained the church to work. To put it away, uh, another way, God's design of leadership by plurality of elders is a clear guard against leadership by one and leadership by everyone. It's a guard against the notion, man-made notion, that one man rules or everyone rules. Now, I'll wind down with this. Having said all this, the plurality of eldership, uh, the equality of elders, whether they're staff elders, a paid senior pastor or congregational elders is not to diminish the New Testament teaching around the diversity of gifts with regard to the edification of Christ's body. It's also not to uh, not meant to diminish the New Testament teaching regarding the unique significance and primacy of teaching and preaching in the life of the church. This is why it's clearly been the pattern uh, throughout church history to set aside one individual under the direction of the Holy Spirit to be responsible for the majority, not all, but the majority of the teaching and the preaching in church. We follow that pattern. And there's a natural and proper looking to, or looking of the other elders, both staff and congregational, as well as the church as a whole, to those who do handle and have the, the major responsibility for opening the scriptures to the church. But, hear me say this, this is not because of the preeminence of the person, me or anyone else. It is because of the preeminence of the task and the word of God itself. And that's it. So when we meet together as elders, which we will do frequently, and sometimes at great length, there'll be a necessary bowing to one another in what we believe to be a God-ordained diversity. Some will be smarter than others on certain issues. Some will be smarter than others on all issues. That's just the way rooms and gifts work. In the life of the church, 
take outside of an elder meeting in the life of the church, though absolutely equal in authority, role, and responsibility, all elders are together because the, the authority doesn't have to do with an individual, but the institution God has given to the church. We still bring different strengths and spiritual gifts to the congregation. And understanding this, guys, helps the church function effectively. Any of the church's elders can conduct a baptism service. Any of the church, given uh, any of the elders, given their gifting and their calling by God, can preach and teach. Any of the elders can do hospital visits, provide pastoral care, do spiritual counseling. The only hindrance is in the minds of the members of the church. But year by year, we're going to grow in our understanding, acceptance, and pure delight of this because it makes us stronger and more faithful as a church. Now, as the band makes their way back up here and uh, we prepare to actually um, ordain and install our elders through a specific charge to them, uh, following uh, uh, which following I'll ask all of the church to stand and read a couple of questions and charge to you. I want to finish with this quote. I want to finish with this quote. And specifically, I direct it to my fellow elders sitting down here on the front row and to your wives who will often find other people's husbands with them at three-day getaways and watching children and grandchildren do things while your husband is tending to the business and the matters of the church. Not always, but often. There'll be times where you go to bed at night and he will not be home until much, much later. Leadership in the local church is not won by promotion, but by many tears and confessions of sins and humblings and heart searchings and self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold, uncomplaining and uncompromising embracing of the cross of Christ. Leadership in the local church is not gained by seeking great things for ourselves. None of you did that. All of you were cautious in the beginning when asked to consider being elders, timid about it, prayerful about it. But like Paul, leadership in the local church is gained in counting those things which were gained as lost for Christ. That is a great price, but it must be paid by him who would lead in the local church. All right. If you gentlemen would make your way up here on stage and we will prepare by the nature of biblical charge to ordain and install you as congregational elders at LNBC. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read um, our congregational elder candidates a series of questions. They'll be up on the screen for all to see, for them to affirm before you their commitment and understanding of the gravity of this position. And then I'm going to ask all uh, in the congregation to stand and then specifically only the covenant members to respond in turn. Gentlemen, do you now affirm your faith, reaffirm, your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and the God of the Bible 
as the one and only true God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and membership covenant of this church faithfully represent the truth of God taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with anything in the statement of faith or membership covenant, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the senior pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your ordination as an elder? Do you support the governance and discipline of Lost Mountain Baptist Church? Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Have you been persuaded, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God, love for this church, and sincere desire to advance the gospel and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or corporate, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to display the work of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary devotion before this congregation. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourselves to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's people relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Lost Mountain Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Uh, will all present and able stand, please? And now, will those of you who are covenant members and only our covenant members please respond clearly to the following questions? Do you, the covenant members of Lost Mountain Baptist Church, Acknowledge and publicly receive these men as elders and gifts of Christ to this church. Will you love them, pray for them in their ministry, and work together with them humbly and cheerfully that by God's grace you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership to which the Lord has called them to the glory and honor of God. We will. Thank you. Let me just ask you to continue standing uh, through my prayer and then you can have a seat. I also want to make note this morning that we also uh, ordain and install Jake Turner, as executive pastor, as one of our staff elders. It's taken for granted that senior pastors function in the role of elders. Um, and the reason we don't go through all of this with Jake is he went through all of this in his calling uh, and affirming of the church coming in the role of executive pastor. So I just want to make that clear to you now.
Now, if we could hand out their Bibles and certificates of ordination. This sits here as a reminder of the work that stands before them starting this next week. So books, journals, many more books to come as we learn, read, pray, cry, confess together as elders accountable before God for the ministry and life of this church. All right, let me pray for us. And when I uh, finish praying, our elder candidates will, or elders now, will make their way off the stage. Heavenly Father, thank you for your provision, for your goodness, for your generosity to us as a church. God, we commit these men and this shift, this move, in the life of our church, to eldership, to you, to your glory, to the work of the gospel, to the supremacy and renown of your son, Jesus Christ, and to the humble working of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and as a church. God, I pray that from this morning on, there'd be a new spirit a new joy, a new direction and clarity and sense of empowerment, God, that comes from you in the life of this church. God, we commit these men to you this morning. We commit to pray for them, to love them, to encourage them, to honor them as they do the work that you've called them to do. And God, we know that they've committed with grace and humility, discipline and diligence to do that work together as one. We love you, Father. We give you all glory. We thank you and you alone for this group of elders. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As they make their way off uh, the stage, we're going to transition into a time uh, of offering. And when we Prepare to receive offering. It's a holy and a sacred time. Anytime you and I in obedience to Scripture, both example and direct teaching, take the tangible resources that God has allowed us and faithfully seek to return to Him consistently, regularly, a biblical proportion amount. It's a holy and sacred act of worship. And it's that to which we turn now. Let me pray for us again briefly as we receive offering and as I do, our offering ushers will make their way to their positions. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for all who are about to give. God, for all who've given throughout this week online and by text. God, for those beyond this space and beyond this state who for whatever reason you have laid this church on their hearts and they help financially support the ministry and mission of this church. God, bless them, strengthen them, increase their joy, increase their trust in you. God, we commit all that's given to you. Father, commitments both made on connection cards and commitments to you through the obedience of giving. And Father, pray that all that's given would be used for your glory, for the advance of the gospel. In Jesus' name. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us online at lmbc.us. Thanks for tuning in today.